Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hello, you are listening to Revolutions Per Minute, live from the new WBAI studios. We're a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The DSA is the largest socialist organization in the United States, with 95,000 members nationwide, and the NYC DSA is its biggest chapter. We're run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. I'm Bernd Goider, I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Lisa Shi, and I use she, her pronouns. So tonight we're gonna to be talking about a toxic train derailment that's turned the focus of the world to the tiny town of East Palestine in Ohio. We'll talk to Timothea Dieter, an East Palestine resident and Mohungan Valley DSA member, about how mutual aid can transcend political boundaries and what her community needs moving forward. We'll also zoom out and look at the larger environmental degradation of Ohio and the neighboring states. We're joined live tonight by Andrew Orma, the advocacy coordinator for the Southwestern Pennsylvania Office of the Clean Air Council. Andrew's from Pittsburgh and was in East Palestine earlier today dropping off air purifiers. We'll talk to him about, about that and his work to monitor and organize around petrochemical and oil and gas issues across Pennsylvania. We'll also be hearing from documentary filmmaker David Ruck about his film, The Erie Situation, which covers toxic algae blooms in Lake Erie. Later in the show, we'll wanna hear from you. Jot down this number so you can talk to us later when we open up the phone lines around 7.45. Here's the number. It's 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. But first, the headlines with Caroline Van Zeitz. Hello, listeners. This is Caroline with your headlines for today, Tuesday, March 21st. In local news, plans for the LaGuardia Airport air train, a project originally championed by the Cuomo administration, were officially scrapped by Governor Hochul. The estimated costs had ballooned from $450 million to $2.4 billion. The state Senate and Assembly each passed their one-house budgets, which include a number of rebukes to Governor Hochul's policy agenda, including her push to expand charter schools and further roll back the 2019 bail reforms. The City Council passed a new mandate that would require each New York City shelter serving families with children to provide either on-site or telehealth mental health services. Health insurance coverage for the families of 150 MTA workers who died during the pandemic is set to expire in April. Union leaders will push for an extension to the coverage as part of upcoming contract negotiations this spring. Artist and activist LaShawn Mertzen went on a two-week hunger strike to push the Adams administration to convert an underutilized New York City Department of Education building into a community-run space. The building at 4436 Vernon Boulevard in Long Island City 
was included in the 2019 Amazon HQ2 proposal. Martson and other members of the Western Queens Community Land Trust rallied outside the building on March 12th. Following the recent failure of Signature Bank, supporters of the New York Public Banking Act, a bill intended to create a public banking plan which has been stalled for several years, sent a letter to leaders of the state legislature to introduce the measure this session. The New York branch of the American Civil Liberties Union is suing the NYPD for the release of records related to Mayor Adams' plan to involuntarily transport people suspected of having mental illnesses to hospitals. The plan was announced in November, and very little information on the program has been released since then. A growing number of elected officials have called for Queens Assemblymember Juan Ardia, District 37 of Long Island City, to resign after two women accused him of committing sexual assault in 2015. City data undermines the claim that Hudson Yards is a model of energy efficiency. A Long Island town has extended a moratorium on new housing in response to Governor Hochul's call for transit-oriented development. For revolutions per minute, this is Caroline Van Zeitz. Now back to the studio for today's show. Thank you, Caroline. Before we get going into the thick of today's show, um, I wanted to take a moment to recognize that we're at the 20th anniversary of the war in Iraq. On this somber moment, RPM wanted to acknowledge the hundreds of thousands of Iraqi civilians who were murdered by US imperialism and racism. The war was really about oil. It was built on lies. Um, I'm still angry when I think about this conflict, which of course, 4,431 American military personnel died in. Um, But really, you know, it's, it's a war that was built about built on the the idea that the lives of people in the Middle East were worth worth less than the lives of people in America um, and Iraq, a country which had far less, nothing to do with 9-11, um, was, uh, was, was effectively, um, yeah, invaded by another country. And it, it just, it, the, the hypocrisy of the conflict uh, makes it very, di- and the attack on international law makes it incredibly difficult for America to have any real standing in the world and shows that imperialism um, is something that must be challenged wherever we see it, whether it's in whether it's in the Russian invasion of Ukraine or whether it's um, American foreign policy or whether it's um, action in the Middle East elsewhere. Um, so today we, you know, we, we're looking at the impact fossil fuel capitalism has on on nature in the United States and on societies and communities. Um, uh, but as journalists, we also want to call out the media's role in perpetuating the false narratives that justify war crimes. We thank our comrades with the DSA International Committee for protesting in Washington, D.C. this weekend against ongoing U.S. warmongering. Um, so, yeah, it's a uh, it's 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 a really it's a it's a it's a sad day thinking back to the world we're in now as a result of George Bush administration and um, Tony Blair as well in, in from the U.K. So. Back to the show over the weekend. uh I went to see The Eerie Situation, which is a film featured um, as part of the World Water Film Festival in Colombia. Uh, the film covers toxic algae blooms that have been taking over the Great Lakes, specifically Lake Erie in Ohio, um, on the western side of the lake. The eastern side of the lake, of course, is in New York, New York State and, and Buffalo. Uh, industrial agriculture is really to blame here, specifically concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs. 
The documentary, which was aired on regional PBS stations, is a powerful indictment against the destructive power of the big ag corporations uh, on the world we live in. So uh, this is David Rock, who directed and produced the movie. Back in the day, you know, what led to the Clean Water Act was Lake Erie and problems in Lake Erie um, with algae blooms, uh, toxic substances being dumped into the lake. But th at that time, it was largely from detergents, which have a lot of phosphorus, and, and laws changed and said, you know, you can't be using this stuff in these, in these chemicals anymore. And Lake Erie was doing really well for a time. But in the, in the state of Ohio, agricultural production has just exploded. And uh, so you see, you know, just thousands upon thousands of square miles of, of agriculture land that is putting pressure on, on the water system. And whenever manure or fertilizer is applied that isn't used by a plant, uh, that runs off of a field, ends up into a, a ditch, that ends up in a creek, that ends up in a stream, that ends up in a river, that ends up in western Lake Erie. It, you know, it, it started out as one thing about one particular aspect of what was going on, the research, and then evolved into a, really a story about politics and uh, policy, agriculture, uh, public sentiment, as well as the science. One of the other things I was struck by in the film was how how good you were at finding like human stories that represent that themselves were kind of and this is the real the kind of art of the filmmaker. Um, you have some amazing characters in the film um, who are just often regular working class people who are living their lives and interacting with both land and water in a very uh, it's almost spiritual the connection that some of your characters have with that land um, and. Uh, one thing about this movie that you don't tend to see a lot in uh, in most in most particularly in most documentary films, um, there's a lot of male emotion in the film as well, uh, which is which is interesting. But it's it's there's a lot of like very emotional men talking about their lives and, and their engagement with with land and with water. Um, I mean, two characters in particular, your your organic farmer guy and um, the the sort of lead protagonist. The book ends the, the movie as well. I talk about this a lot with folks. It's like Joe and I, and probably even Ken and I, probably don't, you know, vote the same way during a national election. You know, we probably, you know, see the world very differently under those circumstances. Um, but you know, especially with somebody with somebody like Joe, you know, I might be looking at data and saying, well, the science is saying that agricultural runoff is. Is, is bad for the environment and it causes toxic algae blooms in Lake Erie and we should probably do something about that. Whereas Joe, is, he sees that same string of events and, and, and he's viewing it through really like a biblical lens of like, you know, do no harm. You know, if I'm, I, I shouldn't, I, anything I do to the land, I'm gonna do to my neighbor. Anything I do to the water, you know, is really a crime against, you know, other people. And so, you know, he's looking at it through that lens of um, we're coming to the same place through these different lenses. And I find that really interesting and fascinating and, and really possibly even an instructive, you know, given our discourse in the country right now with our politics and everything else and people just on their, you know, in their trenches. Um, you know, I, I was able to find really two people who I now consider friends especially close now with Ken, 
um, who we probably disagree about a lot of things, but you know, we found a way to both be working towards the same thing uh, with this particular issue. And, and with the farm lobby, when they use the word farmer, it conjures an image of someone like Joe in our minds. It does, but I know that that's, that, that's a kind of manipulated image. Um, just to give an example of, of how this often plays out, when, when people talk about real estate in New York, uh, the real estate lobby is very good at finding like an elderly lady with two apartments, and she's worked her whole life, and she's a landlord, and they create this kind of sympathetic landlord. And I, I, I imagine the agricultural lobby does the same when it creates, you know, it will point to, to these kind of small, small landholders uh, and say, oh, you know, this is the farm. But obviously... You know, ninety-five percent of the value in in the just the meat industry is, is probably contained in like three companies, like people like Tyson and Purdue. Uh, certainly in like softs and, and and certainly in other in other foods, it's like Cargill, ADM. Like these are these are the companies, and and maybe and 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 ultimately they're the ones that are that that are represented by that lobby group. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There you go. That's why I I fell in love with both those guys and. Um, you know that that that's that's how I think that we want farmers to be. I mean, ultimately, it's simply the case that we just uh, nutrients is just flooding into the ocean, and and that's that's great for the algae, and they they're thriving. And it's just yeah. what it's a bit of a zero sum game when it comes to which species thrive in the world. And ultimately, you know, it looks like humans and, and the <laughs> the algae are doing really well, and and everyone else is uh, and other other organisms are going to suffer as a result. Well, I think you're right. I mean, it. it these these are problems that we're creating largely or at least we're exacerbating and and there's an opportunity there to to you know either minimize or eliminate the impact that we're having and that's going to cost money it's going to cost money it's going to be our our research and development um i i do think the technologies are there it's it's just a matter of figuring out the best way to implement them again this this is this is also political stuff because, you know, who's going to pay for it? In the case of CAFOs, you know, you've got several issues to look at. There's the, there's the, the moral question of, like, should we raise animals in this way? Um, but, you know, that, that is sort of a part and a side of what do we do with all their crap? And, um, you know, some people will see a concentration of CAFOs in one place and say, like, God, you know, that's, that's just an awful place to... To visit <laughs> or that that must be like hell for animals over there but if you're looking at you know an opportunity to treat all sorts of waste that is produced by them it's kind of great when they're all sort of in one place because then you can theoretically have a waste water treatment facility that can serve as this cluster of operations you know when they're all spread out all over the place then they're sort of each sort of left of their own uh, devices as to how to manage waste. You know, uh, it, it, it's kind of ironic that you know this is this is a part of this is a part of the country that voted predominantly for Donald Trump, um, and you know there was all this deregulation under the Trump administration. I mean, you had an EPA administrator who was a shill from the oil industry, basically holding his calls from a Faraday cage you know, operating in, in, in the interests of the, the, the people, the organizations that the EPA historically has been there to sort of keep tabs on. Uh, and then a year ago, the Supreme Court that they wanted, you know, 
cut the EPA off at the knees saying that any any regulation done by EPA has to be specifically spelled out by Congress. So, uh, and and now now folks there are all upset that the government's not doing enough for them. And it's like, well, this is exactly what you asked for. This is exactly what you voted for. Um, so, it, you know, I feel bad, but I mean, this is this is because of the dismantling of the government apparatus over the last, you know, really a number of presidents and administrations. Um, because because the, the the idea has been, you know, to let businesses sort of regulate themselves. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM and streaming on your favorite podcast app. You just heard from documentary filmmaker David Ruck about his film on toxic algae blooms in Lake Erie, and we've got Andrew from the Clean Air Council on live tonight joining us from Pittsburgh. But first, let's go to East Palestine with Mahoning DSA member Timothea Dieter. My name is Timothea Dieter. I'm from East Palestine, Ohio. Um, I've lived here almost my whole life. I ended up um, kind of becoming radicalized, like, towards, like, during the pandemic. Like, it was, like, a weird, slow radicalization. And then I was like, oh, like, I kind of want to do something to, like, make this whole capitalism thing not be so unbearable. So I, like, Googled and was like, oh, I'll join, you know, the Mahoning uh, County DSA because that was the closest DSA to me. Because um, Columbiana County is, like, super red, so there's not a lot of, like, like leftists out here. Um, so I joined them, and then we ended up making it into Mahoning Valley DSA, which encompasses three counties. Um, it's Trumbull, uh, Mahoning County, and Columbiana County. So basically, I've been with them for a couple of years. Um, I'm the co-chair of Columbiana County, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much the gist of it. Well, again, thank you so much for, for joining us and, you know, from Ohio and having our listeners in New York City, um, get to hear from you. Um, so now your hometown has kind of become this, you know, epicenter of a huge disaster and like a media storm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like on the ground and what, you know, your chapter's kind of socialist response has, has been to what's going on? So it's been, uh, it's been kind of crazy, basically, like this, like, little, my hometown is, like, very small, very quiet, like, nothing really happens here. Then, like, out of the blue, like, this, this, you know, disaster has happened. East Palestine doesn't have a whole lot of, like, support systems because of the fact that it's such a small town. The thing about the derailment is, like, as soon as it happened, um, it seemed like people like didn't know what to do and then it got politicized because Donald Trump decided to come into town and like politicize things uh a lot of people around here are supporters of Donald Trump like obviously I'm not but like it got those people like all riled up and it created this like culture war thing which kind of took away from like the main issue of they dumped like all of these chemicals into our environment um and some people are, like, believing, like, what Norfolk Southern and what the government and, like, 
the EPA is saying, and they're like, oh, everything's safe, everything's safe. And then a lot of people are like, no, you know, people are still getting sick. You know, like there are people who are still out of their homes um, and everything. Um, so that's, it's just, it's been insane um, that it's happened here, like at this small like town that like nobody would ever think anything would happen in. Um, so our response to the disaster, um, there's been multiple orgs that have kind of like been um, pretty, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They've been like pretty instrumental um in like getting getting help to east palestine um one uh, org uh based in columbiana county that i didn't know about until the derailment had happened um was river valley organizing who has like um hosted like town halls with like informational people who would come and like talk um and like give information to the community um, they've also done like a bunch of different mutual aid stuff too. Um, I know that they were paying for people to get like testing done and stuff. The our DSA, uh, Mahoning Valley DSA, um, and then there were two other DSAs, uh, Columbus and Akron have been pretty instrumental in like getting mutual aid to East Palestine. Um, we started a mutual aid fund not just with the DSA, but the SRA um, in Northeast Ohio, Food Not Bombs, and um, Sunshine Pittsburgh, Sunrise Pittsburgh, we raised about $60,000 um, in a mutual aid fund for East Palestine to go towards supplies and, you know, what have you. We've been doing monitoring in the area um, to see, like, what's needed. There was a protest in Lisbon, Lisbon is um, about a half an hour away from East Palestine, but it's still in Columbiana County. The it was a Norfolk Make Norfolk Southern Pay rally um, that we went and we were supporting those local organizers. Um, on the same day, Atlanta DSA, Atlanta Y DSA, I'm sorry, held a rally uh, supporting us in front of Norfolk Southern's um, headquarters. Rallies tie. Norfolk Southern directly to Cop City and they're like a big supporter of Cop City like financially I guess um, on top of it Cincinnati DSA is trying to stop Norfolk Southern from buying the rails in Cincinnati because they're trying to buy the rails in Cincinnati our chapter has also been working with the Labor Commission and the National Green New Deal um, working group to put out calls to strengthen rail worker unions and put the rails under pub public ownership. Um, on top of that, we've been going out. Well, I, I live in East Palestine, so like I'm in East Palestine every day. <laughs> um, but like other um, people in the Mahoning Valley DSA, they've been going out to East Palestine to kind of check around and stuff. Um, like maybe like twice a month maybe three times a month um which is kind of cool because it's a little bit of a drive for them um so that's been pretty much what we've been doing um to respond to the disaster um it's been we've been doing like a, a decent amount of stuff yeah that's a lot especially when your community is is going through so much and how have people been reacting you were saying you know this is kind of Trump country. If DSA is showing up for mutual aid, how are people responding? 
yeah so people have been responding really well to our mutual aid efforts um despite like the political lines um we haven't really had anybody be like oh these terrible socialists you know because like we're just here to help um and like it even though like it's a rural area and it's trump country and you know not not that we're like supportive of trump or anything like that but these are still members in our community and they're still affected by this terrible disaster and it seems like even people who are supportive of trump and supportive of like that you know sort of stuff they understand that uh it's norfolk that's done this that it's big business that's done this yeah and i mean it's always interesting too like i i spent a lot of time in indiana county which is a bit east of pittsburgh and interviewed a lot of republicans for a documentary and a lot of people um you know they definitely recognize that corporations um are an issue but a lot of times have like an issue with actually challenging that like oh if you take them on they'll just rise the cost for us um you know they'll just make it harder on us um, but when you have a disaster like this, I think it really, it's a, an opportunity for people to, to start fighting back against that. I'm super proud of our community because every time that there is like some sort of meeting, um, where the EPA is involved or the local government's involved, people in our community are like really showing up and they're like not shutting up about this, which is really, really awesome because, um, since the beginning of this, one of the things that's been like a really big point is um, dioxin testing. Um, and so basically, just to give you the gist, um, whenever vinyl chloride or other chemicals are burned, they create these toxins called dioxins. And these dioxins are super hard to get rid of. And they will like settle in the soil and things like that. And they're like, car I believe they're carcinogenic. Um, but they're not a good thing to be around. And with that controlled burn, basically, like, there's no way dioxins weren't created. Um, and so people, like, found this out and they were like, hey, so every single time there was a meeting or something, they were, like, mentioning, why aren't we testing for dioxins? Why aren't we testing for dioxins? Like, over and over and over again. And then finally, after, like, a month of people showing up and literally screaming at these EPA people, like it would be pandemonium um they finally decided to start testing for dioxins and it does really show that often our government is just working for the corporations not us unless we unless we make them um and earlier you um mentioned you know that some of the support that dsa um in ohio and in other places um has been for workers as well um, yeah. railroad workers. And I know nationally DSA supports the call to, you know, take over the railroads and, and make them public. Um, but, you know, so often, you know, labor and environmentalists are like pit against each other, especially being from a more, you know, a smaller community, um, a more conservative community. How important do you think that is um, that, you know, we're making labor and environment like work together? Well, we can't have like labor struggles um without having a healthy clean environment to live in even if like you know we you know nationalized the rails and you know everybody was in a union it wouldn't really matter if we all got cancer from dioxins i think that it's important that they're working hand in hand 
Um, but they both, they're both equally important and need to be like treated as such. So now, you know, the whole country has been like focused on, you know, where you're from. Um, what, you know, how can people show solidarity? Um, what would you like people to be able to, you know, if they're, they want to show solidarity, like what can people do? One thing that they could do is um, support the efforts of the like coalition of groups that are doing the on the grounds work or on the boot the boots on the grounds work. Definitely like any way that they can um, like, for example, one way that like um, was really helpful with showing solidarity was with Atlanta's YDSA, where they did a protest outside of Norfolk Southern's headquarters. Um, I feel like that's pretty awesome, especially since they're not like, you know, close to this environmental disaster. Like they're not um, as, as affected by it and they're still showing up and showing out. So, you know, things like that, um, supporting the orgs that are doing the work. Are there any like websites or things that people should follow um, in your um, chapter or other groups? So our chapter has a facebook um and i know we also have a twitter i believe it's mahoning valley dsa um on facebook mm-hmm. and on i think twitter is 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 the same I'm, i don't really get on twitter <laughs> um but yeah you could always follow us there if you want to keep up on on things like that um because we're always posting about it um you could follow akron dsa and columbus dsa as well um to figure out what's going on with that um but yeah that's that's pretty much it fantastic um so you just heard from timothea a dsa member from east palestine um and uh, i'm gonna jump to an interview with andrew in a second uh but first i just want to remind you that you're listening to wbai on 99.5 fm here in new york to give to the station please give us a call on 212-209-2950 that's 212-209-2950. And become a BII buddy. We cannot do this show without your help and without your contributions keeping this station going. So we really, really appreciate all the support and solidarity we get from our listeners. Um, and, you know, we're here. We, we do this because of you guys. Um, we love our listeners. Um, and, yeah, let's see. Have we, got, have we got Andrew in the line? Hi, how's it going? Hey, how are you? You're you're live on uh, WBAI in New York with um, Lee Zishi and me, Bernard. Um, how's how's your day going? <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's going okay. I just got back into Pittsburgh from being in East Palestine for the day, so I'm waiting on a bus to go home. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, can you give us a sense of the uh, of the, of the mood there? Like now, the kind of big media circus has moved on. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it's different depending on who you ask, but folks are still, you know, desperately in need of a lot of different things. Um, people are still experiencing symptoms of different kinds um, in different, you know, levels of severity. Um, you know, some people, a lot of people are traumatized. A lot of people just want to, you know, get back to normal, whatever that means for them. And You know, some people are sort of sticking their heads in the sand about the situation and some people are, you know, just getting, you know, angrier and more frustrated by the day due to lack of uh, response from different agencies and um, lack of response from Norfolk Southern. 
And so long term, um, you know, what are folks really concerned about? Um, and maybe you could tell us a little too about um, some of the organizing that you do. So our listeners here in New York um, kind of know your your expertise in this area. Sure. So, um, you know, I work um, in a couple of different communities, mostly Pennsylvania. That's where um, the Clean Air Council does most of our work. Uh, we're an environmental and air quality advocacy organization. Um, and... You know, I've worked on multiple different issues, but right now I'm mostly focused on oil and gas and petrochemical industry-related issues. Um, just north of Pittsburgh in Beaver County, there's a big petrochemical plant that's built and operated by Shell, and um, you know, the basically turns fracked gas into plastic uh, pellets that will be used to make single-use plastic products, um, and. Yeah, so we we have our fingers in a lot of different petrochemical pies across the state um, in different ways. Um, And when the train, you know, derailed, um, you know, I have coworkers who live in Beaver County uh, right across the border in Pennsylvania. You know, we have members who, uh, you know, are active in Beaver County. And so, you know, we went up there to check out the situation and, to see what was going on a couple weeks after the derailment. And, you know, a lot of those same concerns are persisting um, to this day. So, you know, people don't have access to consistent quality, trustworthy testing of their water and soil and air. Um, A lot of the testing that was first conducted didn't include a lot of the chemicals that it should have or types of chemicals that it should have. Um, and so, you know, people don't know what is and isn't safe, but there are symptoms that people are experiencing, you know, ranging from nausea and headaches and nosebleeds, uh, respiratory illnesses, uh, rashes and, and skin irritation. Um, you know, once again, di- different people experiencing it in different ways, depending on how, which chemical they're interacting with. Um, and how it's coming into contact with their body. Um, and, you know, there hasn't been much, uh, I would say, effective effort uh, to decontaminate the area. Um, some people want to stay. Some people want to leave. Um, but, you know, it, it's a difficult thing to figure out how to safely contain uh, these chemicals and clean them off of, you know, get them out of people's houses, get it out of their water, get it out of, you know, however it is they're coming into contact with it. Um, so some of the work that we've been doing is, you know, I tried to identify the most direct way that we could start to reduce people's chemical exposure and being an air quality organization with the connections that we have, um, you know, and the work that we just do day to day, um, this, you know, the, the best way that we could see to plug in where we would be effective is to just start getting high quality air purifiers into people's homes that have been, you know, independently tested for their effectiveness, um, that can screen these chemicals that, you know, are heavy duty, um, and that will, you know, actually make a meaningful impact on someone's life, uh, in the short term. Um, cause people don't really have time, right? Like, to be 
organizing and, and, you know, coming up with cohesive demands and these sorts of things. That's all really important, and, and I think people are going to get there, and some people have gotten there. But for a lot of people, they're just trying to not be sick. You know, they're just trying to not be scared in their own homes. And, frankly, you know, the federal EPA, the state EPA, um, you know, the Ohio EPA, sorry, and uh, the Pennsylvania DEP, right, all these agencies that are supposed to kind of watch out for this kind of thing and remedy these situations, um, they're just not being very effective. They're not communicating clearly, and, um, you know, depending on who and when, at various times, they're sort of pointing the finger at other agencies saying, oh, go to them. You know, go over there for the help that you're looking for. And people just, you know, they're not getting what they need, and they're not getting it quick enough. So I was kind of rambly, but I don't do a lot of live uh, radio interviews. So. Hey, we're an organizer radio channel. This is the kind of stuff that that we actually really love to hear. And, you know, I'm actually, I've done a lot of organizing in New York and a little bit in Pennsylvania um, against frat gas. And so much of what, um, you know, you said is horrifyingly, you know, reminiscent of what communities who have been poisoned by fracking um, have said. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about actually like the connection um, between what we're seeing, you know, right now in East Palestine with this train derailment, with the, you know, larger development of petrochemicals um, in Eastern Ohio, Western Pennsylvania, um, parts of West Virginia. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, for clarity, um, it from what we can tell, uh, the chemicals that were on board the Norfolk Southern train that derailed in East Palestine was carrying um, vinyl chloride, which is used to make PVC piping. Um, so, you know, I actually, like, I'm not a chemist, right? I'm like an organizer. So um, I'm, I'm not actually sure, like, what the process is to create vinyl chloride. I just know that it's used to make PVC um, so I'm, I'm actually not sure if there is much direct relevance from, you know, this particular train carrying this particular chemical and, like, how that relates to extractive industries in, in Pennsylvania, um, you know, or whatever. But, um, but generally speaking, right, like, uh, the petrochemical industry, as far as I can tell and as far as the Clean Air Council can tell, um, is propping up the oil and gas industry. In, in Pennsylvania and these other states. Um, and regionally, it's kind of connected by, like, you know, just to hone in on the shell cracker plant in, in Beaver County, Pennsylvania, um, you know, it natural gas, fracked gas pipelines feed this plant. You, 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 uh, I don't, I don't know how familiar your guests are with fracking, but it's, you know, you take a, <laughs> You drill down vertically like you would a conventional well, but then you drill sideways, and they shoot a bunch of high-pressured water down into the ground, and it shatters this rock, this shale formation of rock, and they pump all these chemicals down to kind of, uh, you know, corral the gas so it doesn't leak out into the rock quite as much and into the ground quite as much, and then, they, you know, that gas comes up through the well. Um, they then take that gas, they put it in... They construct big pipelines, and they do all this stuff um, to transport the gas. And some of it goes into, you know, your homes for burning uh, for fuel or whatever. Um, I don't know if you can hear that, but there's a Norfolk Southern train uh, 
about 100 yards from me. Um, it's very loud. Um, it's still operating. Um, sorry, yeah, so they take this fracked gas and they pump it into this plant. Um, they call it a cracker plant. It turns ethylene into polyethylene, um, if I remember correctly. And they turn it into these things called nurdles, which are little plastic pellets that they then, you know, sell to plastic manufacturers to turn into, you know, your bottles for water, you know, your soda bottles or whatever. Um, and so there's this big kind of like supply chain that starts with natural gas, um, goes through transportation methods, you know, whether that's a pipeline or what have you, all the way to we get a plastic bottle that is littered in my neighborhood and I have to figure out what to do with it because, you know, uh, the countries that we used to ship our plastic to for them to deal with the problem don't want our plastic waste anymore. And so there's now proposed recycling plants. Um, you know, I don't know if your guest talked about it in Erie, but there's a, your, your last guest, but, you know, there's a recycling plant being proposed in Erie by the International Recycling Group. And there's another um, plastics recycling plant um, being proposed in Point Township, Pennsylvania, um, near Bucknell University. And, you know, this is very exciting for the oil and gas industry because if they can say, oh, look, plastic's able to be recycled right here at home with these great American jobs or whatever, um, that means they can keep selling plastic. Uh, or they can keep selling their, you know, their uh, fuel, uh, their feedstock to the petrochemical industry, right, who then gets to produce the plastic and on and on. Um, but the reality is that these recycling plants are very ineffective, uh, at least some of the facilities that we're looking at. It's, it's new technology, so we can't really confirm their claims, and we're very skeptical. Um, and, you know, just Google any kind of statistics around, like, the effectiveness of known plastics recycling technology, um, most of what you throw in your bin doesn't get recycled, right? Um, even the highest quality of plastic, every time you quote-unquote recycle it, um, you're kind of just degrading it, and you have to inject new plastic into the process in order to make it what it once was, right? It's not like an aluminum can where you can kind of melt it down, clean it off, etc., and you get, like, another aluminum can at the end, right? That's not how plastic works. It just kind of degrades and breaks down. It ends up in our water. It ends up all over the place. And we have to clean it up off our streets. Um, it's a really, every step of the process is kind of harmful um, to the communities that they operate in. And it doesn't really give us much back, you know. Um, I kind of forget. So, Andrew, in, in, <laughs> yeah, in terms of the, uh, the strategies that you're using, um, both, you know, in, in relation to the kind of North and Southern situation, but, but more specifically with the Clean Air Council in Pittsburgh, are you guys kind of focused on activism or are you focused on litigation? And, um, you know, a lot of people's first kind of involvement with uh, or a first thought of when, when it comes to environmental litigation is the film Aaron Brockovich, who, of course, turned up from um, who, who actually turned up in the uh, um who turned up at, in, in East Palestine. So, so which of those, we've got a caller, but which of those two strategies are you kind of more focused on? Um, and then we'll jump to the caller. Um, I would say, like, our day-to-day -day operations is more along the lines of litigation. Um, you know, my organization keeps track of permits, you know, infrastructure permits, and we have an engineering team that reviews them and kind of figures out, like, well, this makes sense and this doesn't. You know, we kind of... We have a department to handle that kind of thing. 
Um, as it relates to East Palestine, we're just mostly doing direct relief work. Um, we're not really engaged in any litigation or anything around that. Um, you know, our friends at River Valley Organizing have a presence in East Ohio, have a presence in East Palestine and the surrounding areas. Um, and, you know, we're mostly focused in this instance on just getting people the tools they need to start to reduce their chemical exposure as much as possible. Um, Great. Well, we do different kinds of organizing and, you know, we use a variety of tactics depending on what, uh, what we're working on. But we're typically more of like a litigate and, you know, get involved in the bureaucratic end of things. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, let's jump to our caller. Um, Tom uh, from the Bronx, I think you're live on WBAI. Yes, uh, good evening. Good topic. I, I can say I'm calling to speak about fracking, which the gentleman mentioned. I live in New Jersey, but I lived in Pennsylvania 15 years ago. Andrew Cuomo, the former governor of New York, with all his faults, all his corruption and all of his absurdity, there should be a giant statue of him someday because he kept fracking out of New York State. Fracking is a catastrophe. Where I lived in Pennsylvania 15 years ago, it had creeks catching on fire from the fracking fluid. They beat the heck out of the infrastructure. There's pollution. There's contamination everywhere in, in, in Pennsylvania, in rural Pennsylvania, especially in the watersheds. About 14 years ago, when I came back here, I remember going back for a couple of days to see my friends, the head of the state troopers of the state of Pennsylvania they're always talking about this economic development in, in Pennsylvania, such you know, a poor area with so many things that have moved out of in the last 50 years, 60 years. The, the, the state troopers did a whole thing about what was changed economically in Pennsylvania because all the crews that do the fracking come from Texas and Oklahoma and Louisiana. Let's say that two industries were booming in Pennsylvania as a result of fracking. The couple hundred men who came from the southwest to do that type of work and houses of prostitution. Fracking, you cannot say enough about it because it's almost all, the entire heartland of America is being affected by this. When you drill down a couple thousand feet and inject absurdly dangerous chemicals into the ground, it stays there, folks. I, I feel you, caller, and I'm sure Andrew does as well. Um, and just real quickly on Cuomo, um, I think we're getting a little echo Bernard, if you can mute. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it took so much grassroots organizing to get Andrew Cuomo to ban fracking. Um, he completely supported fracking. He supported the development of frack gas. His best friend is in jail right now from taking bri bribes from a frack gas power plant. So, you know, trust me, he, he really had to be moved. And I just want to give a shout out to all the people who moved him. And I know earlier, um, on WBAI, on the Indie Today, they were doing shout outs to women. So shout out to all the women and non-binary folks um, who pushed Andrew Cuomo to ban fracking. So we have our next caller on the line. Um, you are live on WBAI. I'm Tom from the Bronx here. I'd like to say that what happened in uh, East Palestine and uh, so, some of the areas of the pollution of its solid on the ground might be combated with the use of enzymes just like uh, your septic tank you know if you have a house you got a septic tank they put the enzymes in the septic tank to eat the uh, the poop like you know what i mean 
or to neutralize it. Uh, and there's a possibility that, like Canada, has enzymes when they get oil on the beaches up there, uh, the, the crude oil. They use enzymes to eat the the crude oil. And I, I wonder if, and uh, there's other enzymes around too. But in other words, I was wondering if that could could be an assistant, you know what I mean, to combat some of the pollution yeah. at least. As I understand it, the the main chemicals that people are concerned about are um, dioxins that are present due to the burning of the vinyl chloride when Norfolk Southern did the quote-unquote controlled burn. And, you know, it's not my area of expertise, but from what I've learned and from what I've been told um, from the different scientists and citizen scientists that, um, you know, I've met along the way, um, you know, dioxins are really troubling and really scary because they're bioaccumulative. So, you know, the, every time you're exposed, it kind of sticks in your body. They're, uh, I don't know, fat soluble is the right word, but they, they're stored and transferred in fat. So, you know, if it gets on a blade of grass and a cow eats that blade of grass, now every step of the way, every uh, you know the milk, the beef, et cetera. That that cow, um, you know, that we that we use for agricultural products, whatever. Uh, it kind of just gets passed along the food chain and spread out. Um, and from what I can tell, um, activated carbon filters are some of the only ways to effectively capture dioxins. Um, so that's you know the air purifiers that we're getting into people's homes. They have activated carbon filters uh, in them and the water filters that different people have been getting into people's homes um, also have had carbon filters. So, I, you know, like I said, I'm not a chemist, so I don't know if there's some kind of, like, biological thing that can break it down. Um, the best that I've been able to find in learning along the way is that you got to capture it. Um, it doesn't really break down the way that, you know, other types of chemicals can or do. Fantastic. Let's go to Gary from Flushing, Queens. Well, I guess he hung up. Gary, are you there? Fair enough. Got got what he got what he needs to know. That's what we that's what we like. People satisfied satisfied listeners. Um, so yeah, I mean we we we've heard some of the ideas there in terms of how we how we solve some of these problems. Um, there isn't another kind of chemical pollution that um might be worth Andreas asking you about. Um which is PFAS. Um, this is the stuff in your, in, in, in your um, like nonstick pan. They're forever chemicals and they don't go away really. Um, is that something that, 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 you, that, that you guys in Pittsburgh are keeping so, an eye on? Andrew is texting me that he got cut off. Um, so <laughs> he was not hearing this question, but you know, it's one of the this is what happens often when you have lots of organizers on your show. Folks are in the middle of the field, um, and it gets a little bit difficult um, to 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 do it. Uh, do we have any other callers in the last minute? Or if not, maybe you can take us out. Fantastic. Well, yeah. So we've we've heard about the situation in East Palestine, and you know, really fascinating to hear from all these different organizers and journalists about the the different issues are interplaying here in terms of fossil fuel capitalism, the plastics industry, 
um, and the logistics industry as well. And ultimately, uh, a lot of the, the the people kind of resisting these industries are, are, are ordinary workers, especially in the case of the railroads. It's the railroad unions that have been standing up for workers in America and demanding the right to paid sick days. And I mean, I think it was astonishing to see the Biden administration um, cave so cravenly to corporate interests um, when when it came uh, and, and, and allying with the Republicans to crush um, a railroad union using, using very antiquated kind of union busting legislation that basically um, serves the interests of corporations. So, um, and, and, and undercuts regular workers as, no argument for not allowing paid sick days um, beyond just pure corporate profiteering. Um, so yeah, we we didn't talk as much maybe as we wanted to on the show about about the railroad unions, but they're an important part of this conversation um, and definitely one that we we have recognised in the past on revolutions per minute and will continue to recognise into the future. Um, it's yeah, we um, Lee, have you got any any final thoughts on the um, on your on your home region? I'm actually going to pass it back to the Pittsburgher, Andrew, who did get back on for the final word. Fantastic. Hey, yeah. Um, just thanks for uh, having me. Um, you know, every time I talk with folks in East Palestine, they continue to bring up how, you know, the media showed up, you know, and honed in for a couple weeks and are gone. Um, and... You know, a lot of the politicians are moving on. A lot of the eyes on the situation are kind of moving on. And people still really need help there. Um, people need a lot of support. And I think it's, you know, if you're concerned about economic issues, if you're concerned about ecological issues and kind of like, you know, living in a ecological way, um, these kinds of issues, this kind of situation is at the forefront of that fight um figuring out ways to care for each other during crisis unfortunately um crises that are gonna continue to happen right (laughs) this is practice um figuring out how to organize in these situations figuring out how to organize across uh cultural divisions across um all kinds of different identity divisions and etc um that's Andrew, we're going to have practice. to we're going to have to leave it there because we're uh, we're out of time. But thank you so much for uh, for calling in from your journey back from back from the field and back from organizing. It's inspirational to hear from um, people people organizing the way where you and your, your your colleagues are. And you know, you you sue the Ohio EPA, you get you get those court cases won. You've been listening to Revolutions Per Minute on listener sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at ninety nine point five FM and streaming on your favorite podcasting app. To connect with us after the show, you can email us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com or you can find us on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. Thank you. I'm 